0: If you want to grab your Bible or grab a pew Bible, if you, don't, if you didn't bring one with you, you can turn to the book of Philippians for the final time in this series anyways. We made it through Philippians during the course of this summer, which doesn't sound like a big deal maybe to you, but that's lightning fast for me to get through a book that quickly. So we're finishing Philippians this morning, and we'll be starting a new... A new series in the fall. I'm going to read the final verses. So Philippians in chapter 4 and I'm starting in verse 14 and I'll read till the end. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Amen. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that you're a God who speaks and who has preserved that which you've spoken through your prophets so that we have a trustworthy account of your words. Thank you for all of the different books of the Bible, for the diversity of ways in which you have chosen to communicate through poems, through prophecy, through history, through Gospels, through letters. We thank you for the diversity of voices that speak to us through Scripture, and yet we know it's just one voice that unifies those voices. It's the voice of your Holy Spirit that makes your book live, that instructs us, that shapes us as we read it. And thank you for the letter to the church at Philippi, the book of, Ephesians, uh, of Philippians. And thank you, that Paul wrote this letter, that the Philippian church received it, and then it was copied and, and preserved and passed on and handed down, and now we have it. Thank you for the things that we've learned. Thank you for how it continues to be relevant to the church and to our lives today. And Help us to apply the things that we've learned along the way. In Christ's name, amen. Steve Goodman, I don't know if you know that name, he's a, he's a folk singer, um, I don't know if he's still alive, he's, he, I didn't look it up, I assume he is, but he was more popular in the 60s and 70s, he wrote a, book, uh, he wrote a song called uh, Somebody Else's Troubles, it's a good song, Somebody Else's Troubles, the chorus to the song goes like this, it ain't hard to get along with somebody else's troubles, they don't make you lose any sleep at night. As long as fate is out there bursting somebody else's bubbles, everything is going to be all right. That's the chorus. Here's a couple of verses. Did you ever pay for something that you didn't do, and did you ever figure out the reason why? And when the doctor says, this is going to hurt me a lot more than this hurts you, did you ever figure out that that's a lie? And I saw the boss come walking down along the factory line, and he said, We all have to tighten our belts. But he didn't look any thinner than he did a year ago. And I wonder just how hungry that man felt. He knows it ain't hard to get along with somebody else's troubles. They don't make you lose any sleep at night. Just as long as fate is out there bursting somebody else's bubbles, everything's going to be all right. Well, that's the song or part of it. I thought of that song as I read this closing passage from Paul because that song articulates the opposite of what Paul is saying in this closing passage. For Christians within the household of faith, there is no such thing as somebody else's troubles. Paul uses words like partnership, fellowship, sharing, and his point is that we're all part of the same body, and so what happens to one happens to all of us. There is no such thing as somebody else's troubles. And when we give generously to the church, in some ways what we're really doing is being generous towards ourselves because we are the church. Now there are other passages in the Bible that instruct us to be generous towards others outside of the church. That's a fact. That's an important biblical value. Churches definitely need to cultivate that generosity towards people outside of the church. But this passage specifically is talking about generosity within the church. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, there are two different but related ways the Bible uses the word church. When you see the word church in your Bible, it means one of two things that are related. But sometimes when you see the word church, it's referring to the universal church. The universal church is consists of all people from all time in all places who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation. That's the universal church. Everyone who is part of the household of God, part of the family of God. Sometimes when you read the word church, it's referring to that group of people, the universal church. Other times when you read the word church, it's referring to a particular local church which is a particular group of believers who worship together and live out life together, like the church at Philippi. That was a specific group of people. Those were real people. They were living out the Christian life together. The church at Philippi. Or like the church here at Ebenezer. This is a local church. We are worshiping together and living out the Christian life together. A local church. Right? So there, there's overlap in those definitions. right? Every local church is also part of the larger universal church. But when we talk about giving generously to the church this morning, we mean both. We mean giving generously toward the local church, but we also mean being a part of and giving generously to the universal church, all of God's people everywhere who are worshiping Him and pursuing Him. And here's what the Apostle Paul has to say about that. He says that the Philippian church has been repeatedly, sacrificially generous to Paul. He's not rebuking them. He's not saying, why don't you give more? He's saying, you have given so much. You've been so sacrificially generous. Uh, I, I use both those words, sacrificially generous. Sometimes there's a difference between giving sacrificially and giving generously. And Paul is saying the Philippian church has done both. Their giving has been both generous and sacrificial, right? You can, you can imagine a time when generosity wasn't necessarily sacrificial. That doesn't make it bad. It just means sometimes you can be generous and, it, and it's not sacrificial. Like, for example, if, if someone's giving out of their abundance, think of those billionaires that every now and then you hear about, they give millions of dollars to some cause that's important to them. Uh, that's generous, that's good. That's commendable. I'm not knocking that, but it's not sacrificial, right? It's not, it's not a sacrifice, right? When, when you, uh, I heard that Bill Gates uh, gave $200 million of his own money to, uh, to a water project, a project to make sure that clean water is going to people who need it. That's great. That's generous. It's generous. It's $200 million, but it's not sacrificial, right? Bill, Bill Gates has what now? $58 billion? He, he, he's not going to miss $200 million missing from his portfolio, right? He, he's not going to miss it. He's not going to find it. It's not sacrificial. He's not feeling a pinch because he gave $200 million. It's generous. It's not sacrificial. Okay, sacrificial giving, that's when someone gives to the point where they feel it personally. They feel the pinch. They have to give something up in order to give, that sacrifice, right? The classic biblical example, I bet you're thinking of it already, that poor widow who gave all she had. Remember the story? All she had, it was like nothing. It was two small copper coins worth basically nothing. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, he's speaking to his disciples, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty, and she has put everything she had, all that she had to live on. Right? There's the difference. Generosity, but giving out of abundance, and sacrificial generosity, where we give in such a way That we feel the pinch. The widow in the story was both generous and sacrificial in her giving, and the Philippian church has been both generous and sacrificial in their giving to Paul's ministry. Paul says When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You were the ones. You were the ones that supported me when no one else did. Even in Thessalonica, You sent me help for my needs once and again. So uh, implying repeatedly when he needed it, as need arose, they were right there supplying his needs. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to the Philippian church and he refers to their sacrificial giving when he's writing to the Corinthians. He writes this, In a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means and, as I can testify, they gave beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay, Are you following that? They, he, he refers to them as being in extreme poverty. Right? Extreme poverty means you barely have enough for yourself, if even you do have enough for yourself. And in that condition of extreme poverty, they beg Paul, no, 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 please let us. We want to. Let us give of our resources towards what you are doing and what the Lord is doing through you. We want to participate in that. That was their attitude when it came to giving generous and sacrificial. So as Paul wraps up this brief letter to the Philippians, he acknowledges their giving. He expresses gratitude for their giving while at the same time acknowledging the sovereignty of, of God in all things, including our giving. Right? He writes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Right? He's like, I'm, I'm so thankful for your giving. I appreciate the way that you're giving. I appreciate that it's sacrificial and generous. Thank you. But I just want you to know... <laughs> I appreciate the gift for your sake. It's good for you. It's going to bless you that you've blessed me. right? That reminds me of a time, uh, remember this scene, the crowd is praising God and praising Jesus and the Pharisees are getting more and more upset and uptight and they come over to Jesus and they say, hey, what is going on here? Do you hear this? Rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them for what they're saying. And Jesus responds and he says, I tell you, If they were silent, the very stones would cry out, right? And the point he's making there is, look, his name is going to be acknowledged and his name is going to be praised one way or the other. Whether or not the crowd participates in that, his name will be made much of. And Paul's making a similar point here. He's saying, look, my needs are going to be met. One way or the other, my needs are going to be met because I'm doing the Lord's work. And if you don't participate in that, Well, God will get it done a different way. God will use different means. I'm not worried about that. But I am thrilled that you have chosen to participate in that, not for my sake, but for yours. My needs are going to be met one way or another because God is going to provide for me. But I'm happy for you that you have chosen to participate and to be the means by which God provides for me. As I thought about that, I thought of a, a gift that I received recently on Father's Day last June from one of my daughters. Uh, The gift was extremely generous and totally unexpected and I was so thoroughly blessed by it. Now, it's not that I couldn't have gone out and purchased the same thing for myself if I wanted. I could have. I have enough money to do that. But the blessing came from seeing my daughter choosing to be so thoughtful and sacrificially generous with her money, spending all she had in order to bless me. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Look, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you because by your sacrificial and generous giving to me, you are positioning yourselves for blessing. God's gonna bless you. Your generosity to me is gonna bounce back off me and it's gonna pour out blessing on you. And so I'm happy for you. That's what he's saying. And that's, here's that principle that's at work that I mentioned at the start of the sermon. Within the church, there is no such thing as somebody else's troubles because we're all one body, right? We give generously within the church. And when we do that, we're actually giving to ourselves because we are the church, So in verse 18, Paul says, I got your gift. I'm well supplied because of it. But actually, you didn't give it to me. You gave it to God. That was an expression of your worship to God. And it was a fragrant offering. It was a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. God received that as an expression of your worship. It was good. And then he follows that with a promise. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay? Your needs are good. I know that you gave out of your extreme poverty. I know that you gave generously and sacrificially, but I want you to know that your needs will not go unmet. That my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus in other words, simply put, Paul's saying this to the Philippian church and to us you can't outgive God. You can try, but it'll always come back to bless you more than what you gave. The Philippians gave generously and sacrificially, and perhaps put themselves in a position of economic vulnerability because of their generosity. Right? Earlier, Paul said they were in extreme poverty, and yet they ex- insisted on giving what little they had. And then Paul says, but actually, you've positioned yourselves to be blessed because my God will supply every need of yours. Uh, this, this whole sermon is probably reminding us all of that aphorism. Uh, it's, it's more blessed to give than receive, right? That's definitely true. But it's only true if there are things that the giver values more than material things. If you value your money more than anything else in the world, you won't feel blessed by giving it away and being generous. You'll feel ripped off, or you'll feel worried that now you don't have enough for yourself. Because this, more more blessed to give than receive, it's not an economic principle. The fact that it's more blessed to give than to receive and that when we give generously and sacrificially, we can count on the fact that our God will supply all of our needs is not about receiving a monetary advantage on our investment. It's not a promise that, well, if you just give $1,000, one way or another, you'll end up with $10,000. Now, that's obvious. And yet, there's an awful lot of false churches around the world that are teaching exactly that. These days, it's called the prosperity gospel. It's 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 alive all over the globe and 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 spreading rapidly all over the world. Right now, today, this morning, there are preachers telling their congregations that if they just put in their 10 percent tithe, I've heard preachers say this. Just put in your 10 percent tithe. That's your seed money. You put that in and God's going to take that. And he's going to return it to you with interest—fivefold, tenfold, a hundredfold—because God loves to give back, and God wants us all to be rich. That is not what this passage is about. That is not what any passage in the Bible teaches. That should be obvious. And yet, we have—we humanity has figured out a way to twist it and say that that's what the Bible says. It does not. In this verse, Paul says that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus is not gold or shekels or dollars. Paul is saying that when we give generously and sacrificially to the Lord's work, then we are choosing to live out our faith in real and practical and tangible ways. And when we walk that path of living out our faith in real and sacrificial ways, that is a path of blessing. And God is eager to pour out blessing upon us as we do that. Blessings such as the deep joy that accompanies the life of faithful obedience to God. Blessings such as the abiding peace that comes from knowing that we belong to the Lord and that He is watching over us and looking out for us and walking with us. The blessing of the confidence that comes from knowing that the Lord has received us in Jesus Christ and he will never reject us or send us away and nothing can separate us from his love. The blessing of the feeling of belonging that comes from being part of the community of the saints in Christ, part of the universal church and part of a local church. On and on the list goes. We could spend our morning listing them. We rob ourselves of the experience of those blessings when we hold back. And we choose not to live lives that are sacrificially generous. I'll tell one story to make the point in closing. Um, the story goes like this. I've, I've, I heard this story a long time ago, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, this is a story of two, it's not a true story. It's a made-up story. It's a folk tale. Uh, it's, it's two boys who are best friends. They live next door to each other. They're together all the time. Uh, and they they have they each have a treasure that they love above all things, above all earthly things. So one has a jar of marbles and one has a jar of candy. And they just they just love their treasures, right They' just it's their thing. but they over time, they each get to thinking that the other one has the better treasure. They begin to covet and wish for the other one. Uh, instead of what they have and so they're out one day playing and talking about their treasures and they realize that each one thinks the other has the better and so they come up with the perfect solution tomorrow let's bring our jars and let's swap that way we'll both have the thing that we most want that seemed like a great idea and so that was their plan that night the boy with the jar of marbles went home and he stared at that jar of marbles he started to realize how much he loved his marbles He started to wonder if a jar of candy is better than a jar of marbles, and he came up with a plan. He reached his little hand into that jar of marbles, he grabbed out a handful, just enough so that you couldn't quite notice that any were missing, and he stuck them under his pillow. Now, he was going to get a full jar of candy and still have some marbles left over. Well, next day, the boys meet, they bring their jars, they have their swap, uh, the jars gets passed to each other. That night, the boy who had the candy and traded the candy and got the marbles and now had the marbles, the desire of his heart, he went to bed happy and he slept well with his new treasure. But the boy who had received the candy and who gave away the marbles found that he couldn't sleep at all that night because he kept wondering whether or not he had gotten all the candy or if the boy had maybe scooped out a little handle, ha- handful for himself before they made the trade. All right, that's the story. That's the principle at work here. I hope that story sticks in your mind. When we hold back on God, right? Uh, for whatever reason, when we hold back on God out of selfishness or Maybe it's not selfishness. Maybe it's fear. We hold back on God out of fear. Or maybe it's greed or whatever reason, right? There's all kinds of reasons why we hold back on God. When we do that, we rob ourselves of the fullness of the blessing that God has for us, right? We think we're coming out ahead, but we're actually robbing ourselves. When we give ourselves fully and completely to God, right, withholding, nothing of our life, holding back nothing including our finances or, 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 or anything, then we experience the truth of the principle that it's more blessed to give than receive. We know, not just in theory, but in reality, that we can't outgive God who supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, that's That's what I wanted to say about giving and receiving. We've come now to the end of this letter. I want to make one final point to close the whole entire series as we come to the final words of the letter. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters that we have in the New Testament. Surely he wrote more than that, but we have 13 of them. They make up half uh, of the books of the New Testament. He begins and ends each one of those letters with the blessing of grace upon the Christian leaders. He says something like, in in every one of those 13 letters, he says something like, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he says something like, grace be with you. Grace to you, grace be with you. One thing, though, that you might not have noticed is that all of the ones at the beginnings of all 13 letters say grace to you. Some form of grace to you. And all the ones at the ends of all the 13 letters say grace be with you. Grace with you. Philippians is no exception to that. At the the end of Philippians, which we just read, Paul writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. At the beginning of the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what can we learn from that pattern? First, I think it's worth pointing out that grace is the only word that occurs in all of Paul's greetings and all of Paul's closings and all of the letters that we have from Paul. The word grace occurs every single time, every greeting, every clothing, closing Sometimes other words pop up in there. Sometimes he says mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. Sometimes the word love is in there. But the only word that's always in there is grace. That speaks to me of the centrality of grace in the Christian life. The Christian life begins with grace. The Christian life ends with grace. In between, the entire Christian life is all about grace. It's a life of grace. Typically, Paul says something like, Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ which is a reminder that this grace is from God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes grace grace is that it's a free gift from God, not earned, not merited. All we have is from Him and through Him and to Him. As Paul says in Romans 11, 34 and 35, we can't give a gift to Him so that He might be repaid. All of our gifts that we give, they're His already, (laughs) He already owns them, and we give them. So Paul's letters are all about grace. The Christian life is all about grace. One final observation. At the beginning of the letters, Paul says, grace to you. At the end of the letters, Paul says, grace be with you. Why is that? Why the difference? Here's one possible explanation. You can try it on, see if it fits. If you don't like it, you can maybe come up with something else. Here's what I think. At the beginning of the letter, right, Paul's writing a letter. We know that he usually wasn't just writing with his own pen, but he was speaking it, and an amanuensis uh, was listening and writing it down. Right? And so at the beginning of the letter, he's speaking these words. Somebody's writing them down. They're directed towards a particular group of people that he knows and loves. He's about to share with them the apostolic and authoritative word of God, right? He knows he's not just writing a postcard. He's not just filling them in on private information. He is speaking as an apostle with the authority of the word of God. And he's saying in and through the hearing of God's word, grace is coming to you. Right? Here comes God's grace to you. This letter that you're reading out loud as you gather, this letter is God's grace to you. Here it comes. On the other hand, when Paul comes to the end of his letter... Right? He's said all the stuff he's going to say, and now he's coming to the end of it. He realizes that, well, the church is going to be gathered, and they're going to be listening to that read out loud. Right? Most of them can't read. Most of them won't have copies themselves, so they're going to gather, and they're going to listen. And then they're going to come to the end of the letter, and then they won't be listening to it anymore. It'll be over. Someone will take it home and hide it away until next time. But when the letter's done being read, they're going to go out into the world. They're going to go out into their families, into their communities, into their schools, into their places of work. And so Paul says, grace be with you as you go. May this grace of God that you have received through the Holy Spirit-inspired teaching, may it go with you wherever you go. Grace goes with us because Christ goes with us. The Lord is graciously with us by his spirit and when we listen to his infallible word. And he goes with us into the world when we take that teaching with us. So now we come to the end of our short journey through the book of Philippians. And if we've done it right, then the process of our walk through the teaching of this book has been a means of grace to us, grace to you. And now we take that grace with us wherever we go. During our time in Philippians, we've been reminded to be thankful for all things and to rejoice in the Lord always. We've been reminded that God is in control and sovereign over all things. We've observed the the example of the Apostle Paul, for whom to live was Christ and to die was gain. We've been exhorted to live lives worthy of the gospel and not be frightened by anything. We've beheld the beauty of the humility of Christ, chapter 2, And we've been told to have that same humble mind amongst ourselves that's ours in Christ Jesus. We've been told never to grumble, never to complain, and to shine as lights amongst this crooked and twisted generation. We've been told to forget what lies behind both our good works and our sins and failures, and to strain forward to what lies ahead and to press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've been told to get along and to agree in the Lord and to make our requests known to the Lord. And we've been promised that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We've been told to focus our minds on that, which is true and honorable and pure and just and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy and we've been told to be content in all circumstances no matter what through the help of Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And we've been told to be sacrificially generous and that God himself will provide every need of ours. That's God's grace to us. All of that, all of that teaching is God's grace to us. Now, may that grace Go with us. Let's pray together. Dear God, you've been so kind to us. Your kindness uh, extends in so many directions. Your kindness to us in the gospel through the sending of your Son to pay for our sins. Your kindness to us in creation that you have created us, that you have created a beautiful world for us to inhabit. Your kindness to us in community, the gift of fellowship, the gift of friendship. The kindness to us in the ways that you've blessed us with material things. Homes and food and family, schools, cars to drive, fields to farm. All, all these kindnesses, all these blessings. You've been so kind to us. And one of your kindnesses is, is the teaching, the instruction, the exhortation, the promises, the encouragement. These things that we find in your word, they are grace to us. Your teaching, your word, these letters, they are grace to us and receive it as such. And now I ask, Lord, may that grace go with us. We've finished our journey for now through the book of Philippians. After a few months of meditating on this letter, we've learned some things. We've been reminded of some things. We've seen some ways to put into practice these things. We'll move on to another part of scripture in the weeks to come. But I pray that we, wou- we wouldn't move on from the things that we've learned and that your grace now would go with us. Go with us wherever we go. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.